0: About me, my glory, and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his
1: holy hymn. Hi there, welcome to the Kids' Way Podcast. We are a podcast committed to helping kids stay in the way of the King. And if you've never heard of King Jesus, well, get ready. You are going to love Him. We pray that you would also learn more about what it means to be on His narrow way. We also use various tools to encourage and teach, from fictional stories to scripture reading to music and sometimes even bringing in some kids to contribute. You can find us online at www.kidsway.ca, and there you will find links to our Facebook page and also other info about Kids Way. Before getting into today's episode, we want to thank Jamie Souls for allowing us to use his wonderful music collection. If you would like to check out more of Jamie's music, you can find him at soulmusic.ca. That's www.solmusic.ca. Well, let's get to the story. We pray you are encouraged and pointed to King Jesus through today's episode.
2: Ben did uh, several weeks ago um, kind of an introduction to the parables at Coramdale, and so the plan is just to work through mostly parables in Luke's gospel and uh, looking at those. And as he said, I think it's important to remember that the parables are really illustrating for us um, the realities of the kingdom of God. And initially when I realized we'd be looking at the uh, parable of the Good Samaritan, I confess that... Part of me was like, well, I'd rather just, you know, keep going in in uh, Luke 6 where we were because the parable of the Samaritan is so familiar. And there's a sense in which um, I was, I suppose, even sinning before God and thinking that there's, I'm not going to learn as I study this parable. That I'm so familiar with it. And yet as I've studied it, I realize that I have in many ways, miss the point of the parable. Um, Because if, like me, you've probably seen many children's books that have this parable in there. And the general message is that we should be loving, that we should do good like the Samaritan and be such people that uh, fulfill the law of God. And yet, as I've studied it, uh, I think that really actually misses the main point of what Jesus is doing. And so... Uh, The title I put on the message today uh, is Loving Like the Law Demands. Loving Like the Law Demands, which might seem a bit strange as we consider this parable. But I think as we work through the passage in its context, we'll see why that is actually a fitting description of this passage. And uh, it was convicting for me to see the great... Um level of love that God's law actually demands and requires of us. And so first of all, what I want to do is look at uh, the lawyer, this expert in the law, who brings the question to Jesus. Consider him, consider uh, his questions and his responses. And then we will consider the uh, amazing and wise response of Christ to the man. And as you see, we often take these parables out of their context, but as we have it in Luke's gospel here, the parable is given as a response to a discussion that has come up Because of this lawyer. And you look in verse 25, we see immediately that the lawyer is not asking his question from a pure heart. He is not asking with a genuine desire for an answer. Rather, we're told this lawyer is wanting to put Jesus to the test. And such a picture of the legalist, such a picture of self-righteousness. Um, to think that he, as a supposed expert in the law, is now going to trap, is going to test the giver of the law. He did not realize that the man he is talking to is the eternal son, is the second person of the Godhead, Christ incarnate, and that Christ himself, with the Father and the Spirit, gives the law to the people for their instruction and the foolishness of thinking that he might actually test and trick Jesus. And you see Jesus turn this whole discussion back on to the man and really expose him. Uh, Charles Spurgeon said, The greatest enemy to human souls is the self-righteous spirit which makes men look to themselves for salvation. This man thought himself an expert In the law, to be someone who had all the answers, who knew all that there was to know about God's law, and yet he exposes himself as a lawless lawyer. And so we're going to look at the lawless lawyer for a moment. We see that his question is good, Uh, it's an important question How can I inherit eternal life? This is a question that all of us should be concerned with. And um, yesterday, having the opportunity to go to the prison, I kind of practiced my sermon today on them, but uh, reminded them that, that this question is crucial for every human being. That we should all be concerned about the life to come. That the, the physical realities that we experience now are not the ultimate realities. What our senses can perceive Right are not the greater realities of the universe, that there is a spiritual reality and that our bodies will soon pass away, but our soul will go on and live with the Lord. And we should be concerned about that eternal state. How do we inherit eternal life? And so the man's question is good, even if it is asked from a false motive. And how sad that the man... Uh, Having asked a good question uh, is really, as we will see, in no position to actually receive the answer and doesn't realize that the man standing before him, Jesus Christ, is the only one who can grant eternal life. And so Jesus, knowing the man's heart, no doubt, knowing his uh, legalistic mindset, his self-righteous state, he turns the question back on him with a question What is written in the law? How do you read it? And the man responds with, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, You have answered correctly. Now, as an expert in the law, as someone who was a religious leader in Israel, he probably would have had a little box maybe on his neck. Um, maybe even some uh, and modern Jews have uh, on their forehead a little box, and inside that box is written these words: "You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul with all your strength and all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself and they would have repeated this at least twice a day as devout Jews. This would have been uh, in many ways their uh, the theme of their life this summary of the law, to love God and to love neighbor. And so this would have been a, a very natural response for the man, and uh, he probably had heard Jesus himself quote this as the summary of God's law. And you guys probably have all heard, uh, but by way of reminder, you have the, the two tables of the law, as sometimes called the first four commands, uh, having uh, dealing with our relationship to God. And then the next six commands, dealing with our relationships to one another. And so if we want to condense the essence of the law down, it is to love God and to love neighbor. And so this man, uh, knowing that, uh, responds back to Christ. And what is shocking about this that I think is important for us who love uh, you know, we, we all love sound doctrine. We love good theology. We love teachers who have good theology. But there is a warning in this for us in that no amount of good theology can save us. No amount of truth can save us. And uh, we have to be careful, don't we, that we don't look to our... Uh, Theology in and of itself as a type of savior. And we have to be careful, don't we, that that there is no amount of truth in and of itself that can deliver us, that can give us eternal life. Here is a man who knew the law inside and out and yet uh, was without Christ and would be without salvation. The right response at this point for the man after quoting the law And its high demands would have been to fall prostrate before Christ and plead for mercy. Plead for grace because as soon as he would say that and Jesus would say well that's how you gain eternal life. Do that and you will live. At that point the man should have been like Isaiah who cries out. Have mercy on me, God. I am a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips. That would have been an appropriate response because the law exposes us. I mean, do we actually love God perfectly with every fiber of our being, every moment of the day? Do we delight in God? Is he our our treasure as we wake up, that he is our our first thought, that God is our our desire and and it is him alone that we aim to to please every moment and every decision, uh, every purchase is to glorify God. Every word, every thought that we speak is to make much of God and to show his worth to the world. We would all have to answer no. We we don't live that way. We fall short. We don't love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. That we fall short. Do we love our neighbor as ourselves? Do we put the needs of others, even our enemies, uh, higher than our own needs? Every time, no, we fall short, don't we? Um, even for you, you young people and kids. Um, do you always like to share your things with your brothers and sisters? Do you always, you know, help them when there's something they need? If, if maybe they're thirsty that you rush to get them a drink of water. Or maybe there's only one pancake left and everyone is really hungry still. And, and you're going to give that pancake to your brother or sister, right? Do we do that every time or what do we do? We fight for it, don't we? We want mine. I want that last pancake. And so we break, we often break the command to love our neighbor as ourself. And, uh, and so this man's response should have been, at this point, as Christ tells him, you want eternal life? Then walk in obedience to the law. And if he was honest with himself, uh, he should have fallen down in repentance and pleaded for mercy and for grace um, as the, the publican who came into the temple... You remember the story and the the Pharisees. Oh God, thank you that I am not like this man, a sinner. That I fast and I pray and I keep all of the the feasts and I do all of these things. And and Jesus says, but the publican who came in and beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. That man went home justified. And here we see a man who is very much holding on to his uh, performance, his knowledge of the law. And how sad that he doesn't realize the Messiah who is ready to extend grace and forgiveness is standing before him. And would soon go to the cross to atone for sin for anyone who will believe upon him. And so the man we see his response then. Instead of repenting, instead of acknowledging his guilt before God and his lawlessness. We see in verse 29 But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And here we have the sad response of a legalist. A sad response of somebody dodging their guilt before God. I don't think lost man is ever uh, more creative than when it comes to avoiding his sin. Avoiding his guilt before God. We become very good at inventing excuses, don't we? Of, in, of creating reasons why I can't deal with that guilt right now. And this man uh, tries to engage Jesus with a little bit of popular debate, um, maybe a little bit of theological discussion uh, to dodge the issue that he in no way can measure up to the great uh, demands of God's law. And he doesn't even... Talk about The first part of the law That first table of loving God He just Passes that over completely And he just starts to talk about Well who is my neighbor And this was a A, a common debate in that time For the religious leaders um, Basically everyone agreed that That The people of Israel were, were Kind of a bare minimum your neighbor And so The non-Jews Don't worry about how you relate to them Don't worry about loving them This is an Israel thing so they would agree with that. Some would, would debate further that, well, you only had to be neighborly um, to the people of your own clan, your own tribesmen. So uh, the people from the tribe of Benjamin, you know, if they ran into another person from the tribe of Benjamin and, and you know, maybe their, their mule had a, a lame foot or something and they were stranded, they'd help them out. Uh, but if it was someone from the, the tribe of Dan or something, you know, that, well you know, let them take care of themselves. Maybe another <laughs> fellow tribesman will come along. And there was this debate as to how do we defy neighbor, and uh, how do we obey this law? Because they acknowledge the law was there to to uh, love your neighbor. And so he tries to distract the issue at hand, the need for his own righteousness and his failure, and he tries to engage Jesus in some theological discussion. But like a master surgeon, uh, we will now see the response of Jesus, the response of uh, the true lawgiver, the lawkeeper, the true lawyer in that sense. Christ is the true expert in the law. And look at what Jesus does. His response is the parable of the Good Samaritan to this man. Um, Jesus doesn't answer his question. The the parable doesn't answer the question so much as to who is my neighbor, but what does it mean to be neighborly? What does it mean to be the kind of neighbor that God requires of us? What does the law, what is the essence of it to love neighbor? What does that mean? What does it look like? And that's what the parable of the Good Samaritan is. It is Jesus illustrating the... Loving demands, the, the, the demands of the law, what, what does it mean to love neighbor? In essence, Jesus is again holding up the law to this man and exposing him as a lawless one. Um, one of my, well, it's one of the street preachers that I've listened to sometimes or you follow his stuff on YouTube is Tony Miano and... uh They go in the states and go into big cities and sometimes preach on street corners and uh, and that kind of thing. And one of the statements that he made that I, I often think about, he says that if people will not receive Christ, then he leaves them with Moses. And uh, it's an interesting statement that if somebody is presented the good news of the gospel, the forgiving grace of Jesus Christ offered by his death and resurrection, and they reject it, then he leaves them with Moses, he leaves them with Sinai, he leaves them with the, the high demands of the law. That if you will not receive grace, then you will stand and be judged according to the law of God. And it's, it's uh, important for us because even in our evangelism, I was thinking about uh, many evangelistic meetings today, if uh, someone had come, maybe, maybe even just on a personal level, um, you know, say you're standing in line at the mailbox, you're getting your mail, and someone comes up to you and they ask you, hey... How, what do I do to inherit eternal life? I mean, could you imagine someone asking you that question? What would generally be the response today? Well, it would probably be something like, well, you know, God loves you, and he has a wonderful plan for your life, and that if you will just repeat after me right now that you will have eternal life, you will be saved. And we have this kind of idea, this easy believism, right, that, that people just have to repeat a certain type of phrase or a prayer, or they just have to understand that how much God loves them, and, and that's all. All that is required to gain eternal life. But instead we see the example of Jesus essentially holds the law up to this man and says, Listen, if you want eternal life, this is how righteous you must become. This is how perfect you must be. And he holds up the law to him in a very clear, explicit way through this parable. And even initially as you saw his answer, And so as we evangelize people, it's not that we don't share the forgiveness offered through Jesus Christ and we don't share the hope of of salvation, the the free gift uh, to us, not to Christ, but to us through the, the death and resurrection. But we must remember that people have to understand their need of a Savior first, right? And, and even for you young folks that you don't get the idea from mom and dad that all God requires of us is to be moral, is to be good, is to, to treat others kindly. And that will somehow give us eternal life. We must see the full uh, height of the law, the, the full demands of the law. It requires absolute perfection, not one angry word, not one selfish thought, not one uh, angry word spoken. That is what the law demands. And so in our evangelism, even to our children, we continually remind them of the holiness of God and the great demands of his law. And that should drive us to Christ. That should drive us to our knees, crying out for mercy before God. It is as though Jesus is preaching to this man what the psalmist said. We read Psalm 15 earlier. O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? He who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart. And you consider that and you think, nobody does that. Whose walk is blameless? Who has always spoken truth in his heart? Uh, none of us have done that. And we are condemned before a holy God. Or in Psalm twenty four three, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, and does not lift his soul to what is false, nor does, uh, and does not swear deceitfully. Pure in heart, are we pure in heart? Are our hands clean of any guilt, any crime, any pride, any lust? Are we that pure? We would all have to answer no. No, we are not righteous according to the demands of the law. And again, quoting Spurgeon, he said, You will never glory in God till first of all God has killed your glorifying in yourself. You will not delight in the glory of God until you are crucified in your flesh and you stop elevating yourself, you stop glorifying yourself and praising yourself for your good works, that you realize my best day is filthy rags before this God. Then you will begin to understand the gospel. Question 95 of the larger uh, catechism asks this question, What? Use is the moral law to all men. And I thought the answer was fitting. And in in essence, this is exactly, I think, what Christ is doing in this parable. It says, the use of the moral law to all men is to inform them of the holy nature and will of God and their duty, binding them to walk accordingly, to convince them of their disability to keep it. And of the sinful pollution of their nature, hearts, and lives, to humble them in the sense of their sin and misery, and thereby help them to a clear sight of the need they have of Christ and of the perfection of his obedience. That. Is what the law is supposed to do. And that's exactly what Christ is doing to this man. He is not allowing him to justify himself. He is holding it up. And the correct response would have been the man, as, as the answer says... That he should have been convinced of his disability to keep it. He should have been aware of his own sinfulness before God. He should have uh, been driven to Christ and praised Jesus for his perfection, his righteousness, to keep the law perfectly. And yet, man did not. And so, we'll close just by... um, because it is a familiar parable, we won't take a great deal in, in unpacking. I think it's quite ex- self-explanatory. As Jesus gives us the story of the good, the good Samaritan in illustrating what does it mean to be a good neighbor, we find this man is going down from Jerusalem, and of course he's beaten, he's stripped of his clothes, he's left for dead, and we find two people pass him by, and. And you can imagine in the ears of Jesus' hearers how provocative this is, how offensive the characters that Jesus has chosen for his story would be. Uh, first, we find the priest, a man who is designated to make sacrifices to God, a man who should be walking in the fullness of God's law in its essence, right? He should be uh, the, the example in Israel, and yet he passes by this man in tremendous need and not only a priest but the levite a man who is designated again by god the tribe of levi were to be the temple workers they were to be the guards in the temple they were to be uh helping to give order um as the especially during the time of feasts and sacrifice and to be ministers before the lord These guys should have been exemplary in their obedience to the law of God, in loving neighbor, and yet we find both of them fail miserably. And a lot of times people will make speculation. Well, what was their motive? What were they thinking? Why did they pass by? Was it because they didn't want to become unclean? Maybe that they thought they were going to get beat up as well. And we have to remember that these men don't actually exist. And so they didn't actually have any thoughts about it. This is a story that Jesus made up. right? The, 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 we don't get a lot of details. But it, you know, to speculate as to what they were thinking. And where were they going? What were they doing? Well, th- these are fictional characters that Jesus has given us. And so the point is just that... They failed to love as God demands. And then we find this unlikely character come down, uh, the Samaritan, who shows great mercy. And this is extremely provocative that Jesus would use the Samaritan to be an example of law-keeping. Again, you guys probably have heard this too, but... uh, in the reign of Rehoboam in 1 Kings 12, the kingdom was divided between the northern and the southern kingdoms, and the ten northern tribes formed the nation uh, Israel or Ephraim, and uh, and yet once Amurai built the capital uh, in Samaria, um, then it kind of became known as also the region of Samaria, and and the, then the southern region as Judah and. <clears throat> And uh, in 722 BC, Samaria fell to the Assyrians. And many of the Jews in that region were deported or scattered throughout the land of Assyria. Some remained. Maybe they were hiding. Maybe some of them were allowed to stay by the Assyrians. And what happened was they began to intermarry. And so you had Jews marrying Assyrians and pagan nations. And they became known as almost this half-breed People by the region of Judah. And so they looked at them as traitors, they looked at them as rebels, they looked at them as dirty, as unclean, um, as unworthy, and even when the people from Samaria wanted to come and help rebuild the temple, they were refused by the people of Judah and said, no, we don't want you anywhere near the temple. You guys are filthy. You're, you're unclean. And so the people, uh, Samaria, actually just built their own temple. And you remember the exchange at the woman at the well. And uh, she asked Jesus, well, where do we worship? You say your temple's right. We have our temple. And, uh, and that whole exchange is flowing out of this history between the Samaritans and and those of judah and so jesus chooses a samaritan to be the law keeper to be the one who displays the kind of love god is looking for and he goes to such a great extent of showing love to this enemy we could assume the man coming down from jerusalem was a jew most likely Uh, jesus doesn't say for sure but i think that's a fairly safe assumption so you have a despised samaritan someone whom the jews Tall dogs and unclean, the worst of the worst. He comes and shows mercy to his enemy, to someone who would have never shown mercy to him. And we saw it illustrated twice by the Levite and the uh, priest. And look at the great extent to which he loves this man. As the law again would demand, this man... Lives it out. He binds up his wounds. He takes his own oil and pours it on his wounds to soften the skin and to uh, promote healing. And the wine that he pours on would have been maybe like a a peroxide of the sorts. You know, our boys, if they get an injury on their knee or something or a cut, and we get out the bottle of peroxide. They call it the stinging spray. And, and they, they start pleading, please, not the stinging spray. And part of me gets the uh, pleasure of spraying the stinging spray. onto But you know that it's, it's cleansing the wound, right? It's, it's cleaning it of impurities that could cause infection. And so the wine here is used as a, pure, uh, a purifying agent in the wounds, and the man, this is all of his own expense. Um, this is all from his own supply, and then he sets him on his own animal and brings him to an inn to take care of him, and we're told that he pays the innkeeper two denarii. This would have been equivalent to uh, about two days' wages. The average worker would have made about a denaria a day, and, uh, and so he could say, you know, maybe around, I don't know, depending, you know, around 300 bucks, 200, 400 bucks, I don't know, somewhere in there that this man forks out for this enemy. And he not only that, but he tells the innkeeper, when I come back, if there's anything else that, I, that this man owes, um, I will pay for him. And we have this tremendous picture of loving your neighbor. And Jesus illustrating for the man, what does the second part of the, that law mean? This is what it means. This is what it demands every time. Every time you come across not just a Jew, not just a fellow tribesman or from your clan, but anybody in need. And this is what God would have us do as good law keepers. And Jesus asks the man, just to make sure he gets the point, um, which one of these was the good neighbor. Um, to the man who fell among the robbers and the the guy won't even say the Samaritan. He just, he can't bring himself to say the Samaritan. It's just too, uh, too offensive. He just says, I suppose the one who showed him mercy, you know, it's like, uh, if I have to acknowledge that a Samaritan could have possibly done such a thing, yes, that would be the one. And Jesus says, then you go, and do likewise, and essentially leaves the man with Moses with the high demands of the law, which he could never fulfill perfectly and never has to that point fulfilled perfectly. And so I think the application for us is, is essentially twofold there is an application. Uh, for those who are believing in Christ and have been filled with His Spirit, that this is the kind of love that we should be displaying, not by a strength that comes from ourself, but by the strength which God provides. And that's the key, um, that we don't keep the law um, in our own strength, but we keep it in the power of the Spirit of God. And and we don't want to make the error of saying we don't consider the law. We don't care about the law. That's not right. Um, Because in the New Covenant, we're told in Jeremiah 30, 30, 31, 31, that he would write what upon our hearts? What did it say he would write upon our hearts? He would write the law upon our hearts. In the New Covenant, we will be law keepers. We're not those who disregard the law, but we don't keep it in the strength of our own wills. We keep it by the power of the Spirit. And so we can pray continually, Lord, help me be such a neighbor. Help me love even my enemies. And uh, I was thinking of of Luke 6 and the Sermon on the Mount um, where Jesus instructs those who have enemies, love them, do good, pray for them, bless them. That is what we are to be doing as citizens of the kingdom by the power of the Spirit. And so even... Uh, for you kids and uh, for you young folks, um, you find in yourself maybe it's, it's hard, right, to love one another, to put your siblings' needs before one another, to even to love your mom, right? Sometimes it's Mother's Day, and we try to use that as leverage for our boys. You know, it's Mother's Day. You can do your chores, you know, help out, be nice. And, and I suppose it's a bit of legalism right there, right, <laughs> to just pull yourself up by your bootstraps, which we have to be careful of. But at the same time, we can ask God, "Help me be this kind of neighbor. Help me have love for my enemies, because I, at times, you run into people that you'd rather not see, you'd rather not talk to, you'd rather not be around, um, or maybe you see someone in need and you recognize." Maybe it's someone that that was just slandering you and now they're on the side of the road with a flat tire and you're thinking, I don't know. I I don't really have to stop. I've got to just keep going. I don't want to be late. Um, You've got lots to do. We can pray and say, Lord, by your spirit, give me a heart of love. Fill me with the kind of love that you require. And uh, we should be doing that constantly with one another. And my wife and I have often talked about a lot of even marriage books and books on relationships. Sadly, a lot of it tends to be um, you know, just modern, is it Sigmund Freud, who had this whole, uh, I think I'm saying his name wrong. Anyways, basically, you scratch my back, I'll scratch your back. And that tends to be the general motivating uh, thrust of relationships. And that's how marriages are going to become good and, and strong. If we understand that if I do this for my spouse, then they'll do this back. And, and, and it's, uh, no, that's not Christian marriage. Christian marriage is god as unlovely as this person is being right now, as undeserving of kindness or forgiveness, Lord, they are right now, by your Spirit, help me to love as Christ has loved. Help me to be the kind of neighbor to my spouse right now um, that you you would require. And we love supernaturally in that way. And lastly then, as we close, there's an application for us as well. I think as that, a uh, little part from the, the larger catechism said, the law driving us to Christ. As we consider this parable, and we realize the great love which God's law demands, and that no one has loved like this except one man, the man Jesus Christ. He has loved neighbor perfectly. For his entire 33 years, Jesus fulfilled not only the first part of love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Jesus did that perfectly from conception. He loved God. He honored God. He worshiped God. But Jesus also loved neighbor perfectly in his entire life. And it's an amazing uh, insight as you read through the Gospels and you see this man extend his hand of mercy to the prostitute. To the hungry, he feeds them. To the broken, he binds them up. And uh, even as Jesus in Luke 4, 18, you remember that part where he, in one of the first uh, sermons he preaches as he begins his earthly ministry, he, quoting the Old Testament, says that he has been sent uh, to proclaim good news to the poor, to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, To set at liberty those who are oppressed. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus loved neighbor perfectly his entire life. And those who were considered unlovable by society. Jesus showed great love. To those possessed by demons. Those who who had been uh, lepers and cast out of society. Jesus loves them and does good to them. And what a savior we have and uh, seeing his own perfection. And then in an ultimate display of love. Christ would go to the cross. Not even for those who honored him as Lord. But we're told in Romans five uh, in Ver- Romans 5.10. Um, let's flip there for a moment. You see this love of Christ. This perfect love. Obedience to God's law, in going even to the cross, we're told in five ten says uh, five. Well, I'll I'll back up a little bit. um, Five six. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one dare even to die. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received reconciliation. And so, in many ways, Christ himself is the perfect good Samaritan. He is the one who has fulfilled this perfect law of God. In fact, in John 8... 48, they called Jesus a Samaritan. It was one of those insults that was kind of like the, the lowest of low. If you really wanted to, uh, to insult somebody, if you really wanted to show them how much you hated them, you called them a Samaritan. And they called Jesus not only a Samaritan in John eight forty-eight, but also demon-possessed. And yet, Christ would come to us as we are the ones along the road, beaten, Left for dead, despised by the world, under the wrath of God in our sin, without a hope in the world, Christ would come and bind up our wounds. We're told by His wounds we have been healed. That as He takes our sin upon His shoulders and the wrath of God is poured out upon the Son, we are healed, we are made righteous, and He becomes sin, we're told, so that we, that He who knew no sin becomes sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God. And Christ becomes the one who picks up those who are broken and left for dead and uh, despised and binds them up. He takes the the healing uh, salve of his word. He, by his spirit, quickens our hearts and regenerates us and fills us with hope and peace. And he counts us as his own. He brings us to his banqueting table where we have fellowship and peace with God because he has laid down his life. And Christ alone is the perfect um, neighbor to the sinner, and so if you're here even this morning, and maybe you're asking like this lawyer asked, "What well, good question? What must I do to inherit eternal life?" The law cannot save you; it only exposes you. As Peter would tell the men in Acts two thirty-seven, you need to repent and be baptized and flee to Christ, who can become your righteousness. And so let us pray as we close our time of uh, teaching and then we'll have some more singing before we break for lunch. So bow with me, please. Lord God, thank you for your word. Thank you for, Lord, your holiness that you cannot, um, Lord, belittle. You cannot make light of God that you show your great uh, wisdom and purity through the law, through the great demands, Lord, that we see to love you perfectly, to love one another perfectly, Lord, and, and while we look at your holiness, we are exposed, Lord, as lawless ones apart from your enabling work. God, apart from the righteousness of Christ, we know that we have no righteousness to stand before you, and I pray that our hearts would cling to Christ this week, that we would rejoice in Christ as our great Savior as the one who has reconciled us to God by faith. And Lord, that we would be bold to share this message with those around us. And Lord, we know many people uh, in this community that are trying to earn their way, trying to do enough good things, depending on the strength of their own will to somehow accomplish something of worth in your kingdom. And God, it will never work. And I pray that you would help us to be uh, examples of those who, by your Spirit, delight in your law and Lord, seek to walk in obedience to you, and that we would be quick to repent when we fall short. And we pray this now in Jesus' name, Amen. Well, um, just before, but you oh
0: Lord, are a shield about me, my glory.
1: Thanks so much for tuning in to today's episode. Remember, if you would like to write to us or find out more information, you can find us online at www.kidsway.ca. And don't forget to head over to www.soulmusic.ca to find many more songs that Jamie Souls has written and recorded. See you next time. May God bless you and keep you and make His face to shine upon you.